What's up, everybody? My name is Shane Kohler, and this is The Conscious Love Show. Thanks so much for joining me here, where each week I'm sharing true-to-life insights and experiences from my journey and how I've created the loving and committed partnership I have today. I answer your questions and have live discussions with you so I can support you in your specific situation. And I bring in experts and people who know their stuff so we can all learn from their perspectives. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you'd leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Conscious Love Show. And I'm really excited about today's episode because I have the opportunity to interview a dear friend of mine and expert in all things men. So uh, my friend, uh, Michael DeSanti, he's a dear friend, actually, he was the one who married my wife and I in Montana. So that's a little little background about my relationship with him. Um, but uh, he's a great guy. He's a, an expert when it comes to men, working with men. Um, he's the author of the book, New Man Emerging. He's a men's coach. He, lo- uh, he leads a men's retreat in Montana, which uh, I had the pleasure of spending some time in Montana with him. And it's really beautiful out there, really amazing thing he puts together. So really excited for this conversation. We're going to talk about why men commit and why they don't. And uh, welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for being on. Thank you, man. It's it's great to spend time with you always. And, and like you said, I mean, beyond our titles are just dear, dear friends. So happy to spend time with you. Yeah, my pleasure. And definitely, definitely a pleasure. Um, so I, I guess along this topic of why men commit and why they don't, if maybe we could just start with that, or if, if I were to ask you, or if anybody were to ask you the question like, hey, Michael, why does a man choose to commit? And why does he not? Like, what would your answer to that question be? I mean, I don't, I don't know how much time you have for this. I mean, there's so many layers to this question and this approach and this uh, interaction with it. I think, you know, if you think of why we don't, I think that's, I think that's important to start. Mm-hmm. That really gives, I think, the angles of like surface level and depth and what's underneath the surface. I mean, if you think of like just the superficial, which by the way, I'm a strong advocate of marriage and committed relationships. Like I think they are invaluable to the human experience. But if you start at the surface level of it, I mean, culturally, it's not a huge incentive for men to be married financially or, like it's very superficial. I understand uh, mm-hmm. I'm being superficial about it, but the setup of it isn't like incredibly incentivizing. Right. Uh, it just doesn't work out. Like you take half of what I uh what I what I have. And also nine out of ten times, if I have children, I'm gonna see them very limited. Right. So there's this like superficial cultural level of, you know, what's my incentive? I think deeper than that, if you start to go under the surface, like commitment is such a big, such a generative experience of emotion. And I think generations of cultural narrative for men is, has been so much around, like, don't show emotion. 
And so we have this masculinity of living like in our heads and life is a chess match and everything's logic and everything's reason. And then I'm asking you like, oh, by the way, something you haven't, some muscle you haven't exercised since you were young, I need you to exercise that now in a relationship. And I think it's such a dramatic departure from how a lot of men are living that it's incredibly scary. Yeah. Does that, you, you get where I'm going with that? No, it makes a lot of sense. And there's like kind of this double whammy of, you know, on the one hand, it's like, why would I? Things are great as a single dude. Yeah. And, and then on the other hand, it's like, you're asking me for something that I've been programmed my entire life to never do. And then you're upset with me when I don't have access to it. Right, right, right. It's it's a, such a double-edged sword and it's such a double whammy of of confusion mm -hmm. for, for men. Like I I think you you know you nailed it. Right? It's, it's very confusing. So and, and despite that, sometimes men do commit, right? So so what has to happen for a man to be able to get through those barriers? Well, you know, I think despite that, because I think that deep down, I think all of us are biologically pulled to be together. Mm -hmm. Think of that. Like we are biologically attracted. We're biologically pulled to be together, to be, to procreate, to have family, to have children, to have community, to have tribe. So it's a fascinating experience where like biologically, I know I want to be with this woman or with this partner. And yet culturally, I've been conditioned to run or, you know, operate the opposite way. So there's all this friction. But I think biologically, eventually we start to say like the, the pain of this emotional isolation is too much. Mm. And also, I think when we are rewarded with the beauty and potential and possibility of togetherness, I think a man's life just skyrockets. That's right. why I'm such a strong advocate of marriage. Like at, if I look at any of the most successful men in my life, they all have strong marriages because I think, and this has just been my experience with coaching and with myself, like I always say, boys are preoccupied, men are prioritized. And when we're prioritized, that means there's a limited amount of domain in life, marriage, health, financial well-being, your spiritual life, your leisure life, your community, your relationships. There's a limited amount of focus. And I want to prioritize that focus. And I think marriage is such a great arena because it actually eliminates so much distraction. Mm. And it allows me to focus emotion, love, protection, warriorship romance you name it like i could put all of that energy into this one arena that's only going to streamline my life it's only going to make me more effective in every other domain so right. I'm, a, I'm a strong advocate for marriage because i think it streamlines and prioritizes men so when a man can get through those emotional hurdles or the cultural hurdles or whatever it is but when he can really bring himself to a place where he can choose that commitment it it, it becomes like such a powerful place for his focus that every area of his life starts to expand and excel i would say it dramatically improves because if you look at 
if I'm if I'm at the center of the web of my life, I cannot pull or alter one strand of that web without affecting the rest of the web. It's all interconnected. Right. So if I actually strengthen this domain, it is going to positively impact all others. Now I think you know what you're pointing to there is like it, but that's my responsibility as a man is to undo some of that old cultural conditioning. Mm -hmm. You know, something I think about all the time, Shane, when I was young, like little boy young, I always dreamed of like having a queen, mm -hmm. one woman there. I was like, wow, this is my queen. Like as a kid, then as I got older and went into like adolescence and in my teens and twenties, I started, I never as a kid was like, I can't wait to get older and like be with as many women as I possibly can. I, that was never like a biological thing when I was young. Mm -hmm. But then as I got older in my teens and in my 20s, I started to like learn or be programmed like, oh no, I'm supposed to want this. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to want shallowness. I'm supposed to want quantity. And that was actually a huge friction for me because that's not how I related yeah. when I was young. So like my teens and 20s and even maybe my early 30s, like, they were kind of a mess, but, but it wasn't because that's how I genuinely and authentically was when I was young. I learned all that programming. Yeah. And I had to undo a lot of that programming in order to have the marriage that I have now. I know you and I have had this conversation before and I, I shared the same experiences. Like I always, you know, being little or, you know, whatever I imagined being married when I got older, I yeah. imagined, you know, like that, that was the vision that I just naturally kind of had for myself. And then as I started to be around other guys in yeah. my peer group and started to consider what do I need to do to be accepted or be a part of what they have going on. Yeah. And that, that is what you have to do, right? Like that's, if, if you, if you walk around talking about how you want to be married, like you're not going to get along very well with the other guys around you. It would be a strange phenomenon in our culture. Yeah. Other guys would be like, what's wrong with you, man? What, what's up? So I think part of that authenticity we've had to uh, diminish or suffocate or, or mm -hmm. press. And I, I, I think it nags at our hearts. It, it did mine. I know that. Yeah. Because, there's in that shallowness or that surfaceness, there's really no level of intimacy. And I think we crave that physically, biologically, emotionally, spiritually, we crave intimacy. And that's, I think that's a, um, a fallacy of, of men. Like we crave it. People are like, no, you could, you could survive on the surface. Not it, yeah. I, not, that is not true. It's not true at all. So a lot of people probably would say like, oh, men don't want it as much as women or, and you would say that's not true. Men want it I, just I as would, much. I would say men want it just as much, but have a harder time communicating it. Mm -hmm. Because I, what we were saying before is I think culturally, uh, you know, if if I say, if if culturally our narrative as men has been to don't show emotion and don't have access to that emotional IQ or build my emotional acuity. I, I'm like, I'm trying to, that's like me giving you half the tools and asking you to build me a home. And then me being shocked when the weather blows it over. Mm -hmm. It's not like you can maybe produce something, but it's not going to be that sound because you're only working with half the tools. Right. You're only working with your mind and logic and theory and concept. 
And I think this, this conversation that you, you bring up is so important because commitment is at such a precipice of concept and theory, and then generating into the unknown of experience. Without commitment, everything's just a mental concept. So if I, I think of it this way. It's like if I if you and I are sitting by a, like a pool and there's a high dive and I look at you and you and I are sitting there, I'm like, Shane, I really want to experience high diving. Like, have I experienced the high diving yet? No, right? Now I crawl, I crawl, I, I climb up the ladder. Have I experienced high diving yet? No. Now I walk out to the end of the diving board. Have I experienced high diving yet? Nope. What if I take one foot off? Have I experienced high diving yet? Not yet. What happens the moment I take two feet off? You're in an experience. Now I'm in an experience. So commitment is two feet off. Mm -hmm. Commitment is, is there's, there's no, I, I can't go backward. It's two feet off. It's, I'm all in. But here's the thing. The moment I commit, I now generate an experience. It's an unknown. It's an emotional state. It's a present state. It's a, a conglomerate of experience. But in order for me to take two feet off, I have to have a particular relationship with the water. And ultimately, in order for me to take two feet off, I must trust. I've got to trust that the water will break my fall. I got to trust that the water is deep enough to catch me. And if we as men don't have this conversation of emotional acuity and inner being, then we don't we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust our emotion. We don't have that, we don't have that relationship with the water. We don't have that relationship with life. We don't have that relationship with ourselves. So I'm standing on the edge of this high dive, wanting, craving, and experience, but I don't have trust. Mm -hmm. And without trust, there's no experience. Without trust, there's no commitment. And then without trust, there's no intimacy. So here I am, and I think I speak for a lot of men, like we're standing at the edge of this high dive. We want the experience. We want the intimacy. We want everything biologically, emotionally, spiritually. But without trust, without commitment, we, we, don't, we just don't know how to generate it. We don't know mm -hmm. how to communicate it. And I don't blame men that they have, you know, suppressed this access for most of their life and yet stand on the edge of this board craving a new experience. Right. And then on top of that, like, you know, there's this complete unknown and, and probably the moment they try to take that second foot off, there's a complete reaction to it. And then oh. on top of it, there's, like you said, the cultural pressure. It's like, no, it's okay. You don't need that. Just keep things going the way they are. I went, you know, when you're faced with that, like definitely an easier decision. Yeah, let's yeah. just keep things copacetic because now look at the risk that you face taking two feet off. Love is a risk and intimacy is a risk and all this is a risk. And now here's the other risk is how is it going to be met? Mm -hmm. Now you got an even deeper level and layer because now you have if you know the if men haven't done work on themselves and their inner world now their attraction to emotionally unavailable women or needy women and vice versa and here now now we're attracting each other and unconscious men are attracting unconscious women and then worse yet they're having children together and then perpetuating those cycles it's just a, there's layers and levels to it where 
if I'm unconscious to these parts of me that are afraid to trust, I will be attracted to women I don't need to risk with. And then she'll be attracted to emotionally unavailable men. And then we just keep perpetuating these cycles. Right. So there's got to be, it sounds like, before a man can really reach that place of being able to take both feet off the diving board, there's got to be a certain emotional awareness or intelligence that he's developed within himself. At, at the very least, the willingness. The very least, the willingness. Very least, the willingness. At the very least, the willingness to explore my inner world. At the very least, the willingness to interrupt old trauma and wounds and parental and generational patterns. And at, at the very least, a willingness to interact and shift my mindset in a new way. At the very least, a willingness. Better yet, a genuine effort. Right. I think that no matter who you are, where you are in the world, whatever your race, your religion, your language, human beings recognize genuine effort. It's universal. Like if I was in the yeah. middle of nowhere in Vietnam and I didn't speak the language and I was at a restaurant, you know, I would recognize that my waiter is making a genuine effort. Right. <laughs> or not. <laughs> or not. Yeah. Or, yeah. or not. Right. Like, yeah. It's a universal language, genuine effort. So I think in relationship, rather than, you know, like let's pull away from like, I need to do this perfectly and I need to heal perfectly before I enter a relationship. Like, no, I, I need to have a willingness, humility, and I also need to make genuine effort, which is committed action at my own pace. Because partners understand that. We receive that. Mm -hmm. Receptive to it. It's not unique to my wife and I. It's, the, it's human language. We right. all recognize genuine effort. And where we recognize genuine effort and then we show appreciation for it, people just stay where they're appreciated, at least in a healthy way. Right. But I think there's 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 layers to to that. It's not about doing it perfectly. It's not about healing everything. And now that you know that wound is completely scarred over, it's about recognizing it, being, you know, having the willingness to examine some of that old history and a, and making genuine effort to stay committed to growth. And I think that gets recognized and appreciated. Yeah. And so for, for somebody who might be looking for a man and, and wanting commitment with them, it's like that, the, the willingness and the effort towards his own yeah. internal emotional world is like essential before you could expect any kind of commitment from him. Like you need to see that within him. Absolutely. And yeah. then together, I say this all the time with my, with my men and, and any couples after, after that, then you've got to give each other a, a blueprint on how to love you. Mm. Like we have different blueprints. I have a different blueprint than my wife. Men have different blueprints than women. Like the genuine effort is like, let me learn your blueprint. Right. Let me look. I, I genuinely want to know your blueprint. Like if you think of things like love languages, people have different blueprints. Mm -hmm. But now it, it's up to me though, with my emotional IQ and acuity as a man or as a woman. I got to be able to effectively communicate that blueprint and let you know when I'm scared, let me know when I'm, I feel vulnerable, let you know when I feel appreciated or when I feel loved and, and reciprocated. I want to, I want to communicate that. So I give you a blueprint. 
Right. So we've got to, number one, get clear on our own blueprint. And then number two, effectively communicate that blueprint. Because without it, we're all just guessing. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of layers in between your truth and mine. And that's going to be really hard to communicate if I got to guess. Yeah. Do you find that for men, there's there are certain elements that tend to be like themes in a man's blueprint? I think we... I do think there are themes. I think that we were talking about one of those themes of, of like that challenge of communicating relationship, because I think there is a fear mm -hmm. of the risk. How will it be received? How will I be received? The idea of losing status, being like demoted in your partner's eyes. That's a, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that there's a theme of when men are with men, uh, you know, men respond to challenge. And I think when men are with women, they respond better to praise. Uh, so I think that's a theme. And I think a lot of times like when we're, when men are nitpicked or uh, when there's bickering going on, uh, I think that harms a man's spirit um, more than more than people realize. Uh, to constantly be nitpicked is a yeah. is a, uh, someone once said it bickering is a low is low grade warfare mm -hmm. uh so if, if i can't communicate to my wife or if my wife can't communicate to me if we end up bickering that'll that'll really destroy a man's spirit right. um, and um other themes of i think i think the way we you know feel appreciated uh, I, I think it's actually pretty similar. Like it's usually little things, mm -hmm. but those small compliments, the small praises, and and, re and again to um, the recognizing of effort. Mm -hmm. That's a big theme for men: the recognizing of effort. That I, I may not have did it perfectly, but but you know my wife recognizes the effort. I think that's a big theme for men as well. Yeah. You know, in, in everything you said, it sounds like appreciation is like a major element, right? Yeah, huge. I think I think for everyone, mm -hmm. I just think we filter or interact with appreciation differently. Yeah. And I think that's a I think also too is rather than generalize, anyone that's in uh relationships should have that conversation. Mm -hmm. When do you like think about this? If you think in, in relationship sit down with your partner and just genuinely ask and then genuinely listen what am i doing when you feel most loved and what am i doing when you feel most appreciated and then genuinely listen and then just do whatever they <laughs> just do it <laughs> yeah like just do it because where my wife feels loved and appreciated may may not even register for me yeah it's it's so funny because you're right. It, it might feel like nothing to you. It might it might feel like a total useless waste to you, but it's making their world. You know, yes, absolutely. I actually would would uh, compound on that. Is it? I think it works great when it is somewhat useless to you because it doesn't require this Herculean effort. Like right. this small thing makes my wife feel loved and appreciated. I'll do it over and over again. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a blip to me. Great. As long as I know she, it's important to her. That's all that matters and then vice versa but i think couples rather than assume communicate that blueprint to each other and, and you'll be shocked how little um 
those genuine efforts really need to be. Right. And, and so there's uh, him needing to have, you know, his own emotional intelligence, his own emotional awareness, the willingness and the effort to really explore that. And then there's the element of, of how he's received in that, if he feels appreciated, if he feels valued. And, and you mentioned earlier, like the, the fear of like losing status in yeah. his partner's eyes. Do you find that, you know, one thing men struggle with around commitment is like going all in and then having everything change, you know, like, like now that you've got me, you're not the way you were before. Yeah. Like that's a, that's another, you know, huge thing. It's like, but there's a, there's a double-edged sword to that because change and growth and evolution is simply part of human being. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, I, I, I actually suggest, and I would say this even to my wife, don't commit to me, commit to growing the marriage. Mm -hmm. I'll commit to growing the marriage and I'll meet you there. Right. Don't commit to me. I'm going to change. I'm going to evolve. I'm going to grow. And the, the man you married, my my principles may be recognizable 10 years from now, but who I am and my conditions and circumstances is going to radically change. And they have changed in mm-hmm. six years that I'm with my wife. And we were, our circumstances are changing tomorrow. But we're having a kid, our first son tomorrow. Like that's a, that's going to be, that's a major shift. But commit to the marriage and the growth of the marriage and commit to the space between us and I'll meet you there. And then I, I let's commit to growing. Let's commit to growing ourselves individually, collectively, family-wise. That's a, that's different <clears throat> because in, in eight in human beings is this need to grow and even grow through struggle. So I think that part of you know, I think it becomes a strange idea of commitment where like, even for a man, it's like, I'll commit to you here, but you got to stay this way. Well, that's right. that's an impossibility. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that personally I, I watched my parents struggle with. My father is interesting. My parents divorced when I was, uh, they split when I was 13, but divorced when I was 16 or 17. My father resented my mother for growing. And my mother resented my father for staying the same. For not growing. (laughs) So it's like, so as a kid, like that was a very mixed message for me, which was like, and my, one of their final arguments was my mother said to my father, 25 years later, 22 years later, you're the same man I married. And my father said, yeah, I know. That's a good thing. He like he wore it like a badge of honor that he never grew, that he he remained right. the same. And my mother resented that. And then my father resented that she grew. And so we all, we're all going to change and grow and evolve. So commit to the space between, commit to the unit, commit to the arena of marriage or or that relationship and you know, grow it both individually and collectively. You know, I, I know Marianne Williamson uh, says in her book, A Return to Love, that she talks about marriage for a little bit. I thought it was a great description. She she talks about how, you know, the commitment is that, like, we're going to go through everything together. We're going to go through up and down and in between, and we're going to go through hell, and we're going to go through heaven, and we're going to go through all of it. And the commitment is that nobody's leaving, yeah. that we have, this, we have this safe space to do the work together, no matter yeah. what the work might involve. 
And that, that is very different than like committing to the person, yeah. right? Where, where it's like, I want you the way you are right now. And I want to keep you for myself. That's, and, and I think most people think that's what commitment is. That's completely conditional. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, and that, I mean, maybe that's why so many quote commitments don't become real commitment is because of that reason right there. As soon as, as soon as it's like, wait, that's something I hear people say sometimes is this isn't what I signed up for. And, <laughs> you know, that's exactly what you signed up for. <laughs> yeah. But I think I, you're nailing it because I think a lot of people have it confused. Like mm-hmm. I'll commit to you as long as, as soon as in language and in relationship, you put the, as long as like, it's now a condition and I think un- unconsciously, we're not saying like, I love you very much. We're saying I trade you very much. Right. I trade you like, you don't touch this wound and I won't touch that wound. And I won't do this as long as you don't do that. And now everything is now marriage or committed relationship becomes this transactional component rather than a sacred arena. Right. And in that sacred arena, there are certain inevitabilities of life that we are going to face and confront. No one is exempt from them. Think it pain, uncertainty, and struggle. They're built into the cake of life, right? I, I know inevitably that in my life I will face pain, uncertainty, and struggle. And what we what we do with marriage is we say, I will inevitably face this, we will inevitably face this, and we stay. And we face it together. We face it in this arena. Mm-hmm. I don't think a good life is a is a life exempt from pain, uncertainty, and struggle. I think a good life is the way we approach pain, uncertainty, and struggle. And, well, and to have is, a partner um, be there with you, I think, is one of the greater depths and meaning uh, and gifts of life. Yeah. And this is where we have to have that own emotional maturity for ourselves because from a, from an immature place, it it is just this kind of transactional commitment, you know, and I've, I've, I've coached people before who just couldn't get off of that. Right. It's like, it's like, no, I want it. And I want it this way. And if she can't be that, then, and that's, I mean, yeah, there is no real relationship there. It's just you, you meet my needs. You be who I want you to be. Yeah. And there's no, there's no level of, and I think this is a big one too. I think a big confusion in relationship is like what you just said is like, meet my needs and meet them this way. And I think on the opposite of that is this idea of like relationships take compromise. And I don't believe that. I do believe relationships require sacrifice. And without emotional maturity, and to distinguish the two is compromise. At the end of the day, one of us is going to lose. But sacrifice is I'm willing to be uncomfortable now for a greater possibility and potential in the future. Mm. So I I don't make any compromises in my marriage, but I make a lot of sacrifices. Because I'm willing to sit in this discomfort. I'm willing to do hard things. I'm willing to have hard conversations. I'm willing to be uncomfortable for the, the greater unit. That's not me sitting here saying, hey, come and meet my needs. That sacrifice requires that emotional maturity. Sacrifice requires that archetype of, you know, that warrior, that protector, that I'm going to protect this because it's sacred. And I'm willing to be uncomfortable. I'm willing to sit in it and 
go through that fire of growth and self-inquiry and what's not working and hear feedback like but maturity say like give it to me immaturity would run from it because it's uncomfortable right. and i think that immaturity is like i don't want there to be pain or uncertainty or struggle in my life and i'm like oh that's built into life that's built into the cake you mm -hmm. can't avoid it but to be able to meet those inevitabilities of life and then meet them with a partner that has a front row seat to see how you interact with those inevitabilities, I think is, that's the gift. Yeah. And I think, you know, in that, in having that partner, that front row seat, it's very vulnerable too, because that person sees everything. Everything. And I, I think for men, you know, who culturally, it's like, don't let anybody see you sweat, Ooh. hold it all together, you yeah. know, like be the, be, be perfect or whatever that means, but, you know, get it right, I think is a big like idea that men live with. And so then you're, you have this person who has a front row seat to the worst of you. Yeah. And, and then also it's like i've opened myself up to this person now they see the worst of me and they could leave it's like it's such a status. yeah it's such a vulnerable position for for anybody but I, I think women are probably more willing to put themselves in that position a lot of times than men are and, and honestly it's probably because they have more emotional strength than men do yeah. you know and they, and they practice that emotional strength for for decades longer I, generations longer generations longer yeah and I would, to add to what you just said, it's so fascinating because one of the frustrations that I hear a lot of for women is they crave to be witness and let in on that mm -hmm. and have this wall of, I can't let you see it. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you have this conflict and friction in the relationship, which is I'm craving all the parts of you. And then the other on the opposite is I can only show you these parts of me, the polished parts of me. Mm -hmm. I call it James Bond syndrome. Like you never see James Bond like practice. Right. You see him like, oh, I just I'm learning something right now. Like you only see the perfection of his tools and gadgets and all that stuff that he has, right? You yeah. never see him mess it up. No, he never gets it wrong. <laughs> no, he never gets it wrong. So like we so as men, we're like, I can only show you this polished version of me. And yet the irony is that these women with the front row seat, our wives and our spouses, our committed partners, like, no, I, I want it all. I want all of you. I want the highs and the lows. I want the, the, the triumphs and the challenges, the bruises and the wounds. I want it all. And we have this reluctance to be that vulnerable because that intimacy is so scary to someone who hasn't practiced it. Yeah. So on that note, I want to ask you, you mentioned like when you were younger, you know, in your teens and your twenties, and like, there was, you know, kind of this conditioning of who you were supposed to be as a man. And then before you could have the kind of relationship marriage commitment you have now, you had to work through that. What, like what had to happen for you to break that old programming and actually acknowledge, like, I want a commitment. Yeah. That's a great question. I mean, I think when I think when my parents divorced, I made a lot of conclusions about marriage, about men and women, about relationships. And, and a lot of that personal interaction with relationships is I never wanted to be that disappointed ever again. 
Mm. Like I was like when my parents split, I saw, wow, someone or relationships or marriage could have that level of impact on me. Mm. I was like, let me, why don't I just guard up? <laughs> like, well, let me just wall off here. Yeah. That's ultimately what I did as a young kid. Uh, and then I, I formed those conclusions about vulnerability and about emotion and about marriage when I was young, because that disappointed, disappointment affected me so grand as a kid that as I got older in life, I, I, I wanted relationships, but I wasn't willing to drop any of my walls and barriers and guards. So there was a natural friction. And then by being so emotionally closed off and so withdrawn and withdrawing honesty and withdrawing leadership and withdrawing my authenticity and I just struggled so much and had my heart broken so much and, and broke hearts so much that the pain became enough for me to be like, I, I need to take a real honest look in the mirror of how I'm participating and generating all this dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And I had to really honestly look at myself of, you know, just what I was saying, just, you know, just previously of, I only want to show you the polished parts of me. And I, and all the women in my life stood in front of me. I was like, no, I, I want to see it all. And I just, I just wasn't strong enough to take a risk emotionally. Mm. When, I when I think I hurt enough women that I loved, I finally was like, I, I need, I'm the common denominator here. Mm. I need to take an honest look at how, what, how am I operating here? And then when I met my wife, I needed to take a risk and I took a lot of emotional risks. And for me, those were honesty and transparency and vulnerability. And when they were met with grace and love and acceptance, I was, it was like, it was like um, the biggest relief of my life. Cause I think, you know, when people ask me like, what is it about your wife that made her so distinct? Number one, I was the one that had to take the risks. I was willing to risk. She was important enough and special enough, by the way, that it was worth taking the risk. But I will say what was special about my wife is any level that I brought to her of shame or embarrassment, my wife met with grace. And that opened up a part of me of like, this idea of like suppressing my shadow and suppressing all these vulnerabilities and like to be met with that level of grace and love and acceptance only made me want to love her better and more. Mm. And, and I think that's a big thing about men is men want to love and make their partners happy and provide and do all these things. And when it's received with grace, we're, we're never like, oh, well, I guess we're good here. We just want to give more and provide more and grow more. And so that's part of that consciousness of, yes, I want to give and provide. And when it's received in such a loving way, like it, it only makes me want to generate and give more. And that's, I think for me, that was the relationship journey that I really had to overcome was the one was this willingness to take a risk and, and be rejected all those parts of me. And then understanding that when it was met with that grace only made me want to 
commit more, grow more and, and love and provide more. Right. And sounds like the catalyst for that risk was really pain, right? Pain. You know, just tired of having your heart broken, breaking other people's hearts, living in this isolation. Yeah. Now, now, had you ever tried to take that kind of risk before, like, and not had it met with grace and, and been received? Um, no, I, I, I mean, relationship wise, there's no, um, let me say that my most intimate relationships, I, you know, they, they, they got a fraction of me because I was so unwilling to be disappointed and I was so unwilling to have my heart broken. I think that even factors into, you know, who I was attracted to. Right. Like, and so I think all of those were all very congruent and aligned to, Oh, here, I'll, I'll attract a woman like this so that I don't have to be this. And then right. all that unconsciousness played out. Then when I took time alone and I, after my, my, you know, my last relationship, I took years alone to really figure out myself and, and my participation. And so I, it, to answer your question, I cannot say genuinely, I dove off that diving board and it was, it wasn't received. I, I could say for sure, I tried to remain on the diving board, but I wanted all the rewards of the experience. Right. And just and couldn't I, find I've, a way to make yeah, it work. I, I've got to own that. And I, I burned a lot of bridges and broke a lot of hearts and had my heart broken, but um, I, I can't, uh, that's on me. So that was a place you had to come to, and there was nothing, there was nothing anybody could have done to, push you to that place oh man just... I, I think the the women in my life did their absolute best to love me the way they knew how and i just wasn't i just i personally wasn't uh courageous enough to take those risks emotionally in my life just due to old disappointments and uh heartbreaks in my own life experience um but I think they they all loved me the best way they knew how, and uh, I don't I don't blame them once. Yeah. So what was it when you know when you decided to take that risk, and you said it was met with grace and it was met with understanding? Like how how so? Like what was it that she? What was the space that your wife was able to create for you that made you want to keep giving more and more and more? You know, it's interesting. You said it before when we were talking about like giving each other a blueprint of feeling loved and appreciated. And, and for you, maybe like, oh, OK, that's nothing for me. Like, oh, that's actually that's actually how it was met. You know, these tougher conversations when we were first getting together and 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 being together and deciding like, OK, this is something and everything that I was like, oh, this is a big one. Right, I'm going to bring this up. And he was like, OK, yeah, yeah that's great. It was so almost like nonchalant where I was like, no, no, no I don't, maybe you misunderstood me. Like, this is a really big thing. And my wife was like, no, it's not. It might be big to you. And I get that. But it's not big to me. To me, it's part of who you are. And I'm relieved that you're telling me, which is interesting. I think this is a big part of where the risks that I was too afraid to take didn't uh, allow for an experience of you know, when I'm, when I'm willing to take that risk, I'm actually putting trust in, in you. I'm putting trust in my wife. And in that trust, I'm giving her the opportunity to, to, 
step into a greater version of her. Mm -hmm. And in that opportunity to step into a greater version of her, we develop intimacy. And in that intimacy, we both feel seen. And then in that intimacy of feeling seen and respected and validated and heard and appreciated, that only wants to grow <laughs> and reciprocate upon itself. So yeah. I think my wife's, that grace was alchemizing what I thought were these big deal breakers that she was like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. You know, pass the ketchup. What, what do you want? You know, like, <laughs> I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was, uh, it was the parts of me that I was so embarrassed about and shamed about or whatever they were at the time that felt monumental and big were like, yeah, all right, I accept that part of you. And then here's parts of me. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I love it. Sure. I think that neutralization was mm -hmm. so powerful because I think there's like this tremendous relief. You know, like when you have some gigantic secret that gets heavy over time or decades, that relief that comes with telling a secret and you tell it to someone that you trust and like your secret is safe with me and you can trust me and then they keep it. You're like, oh my God. I'd go to hell for this person. <laughs> I think that relief is what was so alchemizing to me. And in that trust, my, I guess, courage to take a risk develops that trust. That trust develops intimacy. That intimacy develops this experience of feeling seen and loved either way, unconditionally. And I think that life wants to reciprocate on that. Yeah. But I think it's on us to at least open the door. We want all the reward of that, but we don't want to. The, we don't want to access the courage to take that risk and commitment. Right. You can't have both. It comes back to where we started with. It starts with the commitment. Yeah, and I know you know exactly what you're saying. Like I've I've coached men in the past who wanted to create relationships that were very much like under their control, right? And, and let let me just. Let me have it be the way I want it all the time. Yeah. And and then I'll commit. Yeah. And then anytime their partner would reveal something that wasn't yeah. the way they wanted, it's like, nope, I can't, I can't deal with this. And and what that really reflects is that man's own inability to be with their own shadow and their own their own stuff that they don't want to reveal. Yeah. And then what it reveals really is this underlying motivation to control. Mm -hmm. But this goes, this goes contrary to what I was just saying is that inevitabilities in life are uncertainty. <laughs> like you can't control, right? And you cannot control what is uncertain. So it's a, it will naturally create or breed friction because your worldview, my need to control, will always come into friction with an, an ingredient, an inevitable ingredient of life is uncertainty. So how is that ever going to reconcile? It won't. Right. So with commitment, I'm saying that as I walk into the unknown, I have a willingness. I have a willingness to grow and I have a willingness to learn. I have a willingness to fail and try on something new, which by the way, I would say is a, statistically speaking, like one of the greatest, most uh, attractive qualities in men is confidence, which is not cockiness, it's confidence. Confidence is that, you're, that you trust your own ability to influence outcomes and behaviors in a course of events. 
So confidence has trust built into it, mm -hmm. right? And to influence behaviors or uh, outcomes or a course of events is actually power. So confidence is simply, I trust my own power. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying with confidence, is I'm saying, uh, I'm willing to step into the unknown commitment. And I trust that whatever comes up, I'll deal with it. I'll yeah. handle it. I'll influence it. And so that's that's the number one attractive quality and feature in men. But that doesn't come without commitment. I'm actually saying with confidence. I'm, I'm committed to being confident. So as I step into the unknown, I got this. I'll handle it. We'll figure it out. I go in there with you. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll influence it. I trust my own power. I trust our power. And that's the number one attractive feature in men. But that all re requires that you have the courage to step into the unknown. Right, right. It's it's kind of like it, it's built in when you built when you meet requires. someone who has that quality, they're already coming with. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They're already coming with it. It's not like, OK, now let's start to cultivate. No, I already come with it. As I step into the unknown, I got this. As we step into the un unknown, I got you. And then as I step into the unknown, I trust myself, but I also trust my wife. We step in. I trust you. You trust me. Let's go. Into the unknown we go. Mm -hmm. And that all, that all requires commitment. <laughs> So now one other question for, and I know we're, we're uh, running out of time, so we got to wrap this up shortly, but one other question for, for the women who are listening to this, you know, and they might be thinking like, okay, so if, if I meet a man, you know, what, what do I do to get him to commit or, or what is my role in, in his commitment? How would you answer that question? Wow. I mean, I would, you know, I, I would probably. I don't know if I would distinguish it between men and women, but I would say make of yourself such value that the choice would be brainless, right? Like I look at when I met my now wife, like she just had so much value in who she was, what she offers to my life how she interacts with me, how I feel when I'm with her. And this is when we're dating, mm -hmm. right? She had so much value that to me, like there isn't even a choice. Right. It's like and I think I think what happens is a lot of times what sometimes, especially when out of insecurity, the uh, the, the woman will poke and prod the man to commit while like hold on, let me withhold my value because God forbid, God forbid, I give you all my value and then you run. And you don't commit. Yeah. Yeah. And then you don't commit or you walk away or you run. And now here I am completely exposed and given everything that I have. And now it wasn't reciprocated. I, I think that's actually the contrary. Mm -hmm. It becomes so valuable that the choice is brainless. Like when I stood in front of my wife, or, you know, when I knew I wanted to marry my wife, it wasn't really a hard decision. I just knew and saw and experienced that I and my life was better with her in it, which then made me conclude that clearly my future would be better with her in it too. Yep. And, you know, it's and prodded me, never burdened me with, hey, when are we getting married? When are we taking the next? Never, not once did my wife ever poke or prod me on that she just created so much value in my life that it was a no-brainer 
and she also saw you stepping into it right so you know and, and i think that's yet create so much value and then be with someone who recognizes that value and, and appreciates it and appreciates it yeah yeah and, re- and wants to reciprocate it and we- you know it's it's not that different than what we were just talking about earlier where you know the the greatest fear for the man is that i'm going to put it all out there i'm going to yes. take both feet off the diving board and then you're going to not respect me anymore right and no. so it's kind of the same thing happening on both sides <laughs> and yet that it's that's the counterintuitive part of it mm-hmm. so let me like guard like i did let me guard and protect but still want value from you but i'm not going to give you 100 percent. like it doesn't work that way life wants to reciprocate it and so does, so does your partner somebody's got to be willing to be the first one and totally. and it, yeah. and that, and who that should be is you right yeah. man or woman right who's <laughs> never listening that's you yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah don't i you know with relationship like you you must be proactive like if, if you find yourself like why aren't they calling or all of that stuff generate it be generative and i think it is super valuable for men to be generative to be productive to produce something of value that's a uh, that's a whole other podcast but to be productive is a uh, for me it's an archetype or a a, a pillar of purposeness purposefulness mm-hmm. is to be productive the opposite of that to the opposite of generative is a degenerate so you have all this like immature degenerate <laughs> degeneratives where they're adding no value so yeah. to any listener like especially the men like produce in yourself and in your life so much value and the same with the women so that you are matching and aligning with people that have commitment to creating and generating value in the, their lives individually and then in your togetherness and then right the, even before you better. Before you commit to someone else, you've got to be committed to yourself, your own life, and the value that you bring to life, right? Hello. Yes. And you have so much value that you align with people that have value, and then you just generate value together. That's it. It's That's really it, right? That's it. That's it. All right. I know you got to go in a couple minutes. Before you do, if, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, where can they find you? How can they do that? Uh, my website is michaeldesanti.com or uh, newmanemerging.com. My book is on Amazon, New Man Emerging. And you can find me on uh, Instagram, Mike underscore DeSanti, or on Facebook, Michael DeSanti. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been a riveting conversation. And as always, it's great when we get to connect and chat. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show. So thanks so much for being here with us today. My my pleasure, man. Love to you and your wife. And uh, we appreciate you. Same right back to you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love.